You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics, and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 237. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Beckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey, San, hey, San. Welcome back, Andras. Where have you been? Thank you very much. Uh, well, I've been to a couple of places, like uh, went through half of Europe, oh. all the way up to Tallinn in Estonia. Mm-hmm. And back down, obviously. Is that really half of Europe? Well, depends on how we measure it, I guess. Considering the distance that I did, okay, I covered. <laughs> I think it was. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, altogether, I think the overall distance that we covered during this tour was uh, close to five thousand kilometers. Wow! Yeah, in a bus in ten days on a coach. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Comfy. Oh, and I have to tell you that it was a very positive experience. Very nice tour there. Everyone behaved as requested. Really? Which is quite a surprise. <laughs> I mean, in terms of adhering to the rules regarding uh, protective measures and stuff. Yeah. I explained them right at the beginning. I spent about 10-15 minutes explaining them why it's necessary and how it's a, a prerequisite for traveling. And they all accepted it. What? And not a single challenge over the period of 10 days, which is surprising because by now I'm quite used to Hungarians protesting against the regulations and the recommended protective measures. <laughs> But on the other hand, I have to say that I was surprised to see how in the old town of Warsaw, on the way back, nobody seemed to give a fuck about the virus. Yeah, okay. So my people were wearing masks because I told them to do so. Nobody else did. And out of four stops while driving through the country, we probably saw a total of three people wearing them. Wow. <laughs> There you go. In a country of 38 million. If the rest of the country has the same attitude, it's no wonder they have such high numbers of daily cases. Mm. Yeah. So I, I just didn't know what to make of it. Hmm. It's <laughs> well, at least you got to travel. And that's interesting because the rest of us, we, we get secondhand information now these days. Yeah. Well, it's probably not going to happen for another while. Mm-hmm. Like uh, they tell me that they have a tour planned for me to the south of Italy at the end of September, which is that's not going to happen. Pretty likely that it's not going to no. happen. Yeah, no. it's Italy. So, so how have you been? I've, I've uh, listened to uh, the shows. I couldn't couldn't listen to the interview episode uh, yet. Oh, you should. It was very good. It was very good. Yeah, but uh, the other show. I did, and uh, and the other show was very good as well. Mm-hmm. I'm really sad that I I couldn't make it, but uh, I heard you found someone who's a lot of fun to to be on the show to to have on the show. Yes, yes, Martin Morda. Yeah. If yeah. people haven't listened to that episode yet, please do because it was really really good, very very entertaining guy, mm-hmm. and very knowledgeable as well. I learned a lot. Yeah, definitely. Actually, I meant Brian. Uh, for the for the other show, but, but yeah, Brian was also perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because since I haven't listened to the the show with the interview yet, I don't know how entertaining that guy is. But <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you have you been? I must say, I uh, we have it's been a little bit of a meme going around that golf is very good for you. Yes, and uh, d- <laughs> this is just to to tell you not to take uh, medical advice from the podcast. Because I was playing golf today and I pulled a muscle <laughs> on, on, this, on my side. And it, at the last hole, no. I shouted out loud with pain as I hit the last shot. No. So uh, apparently it was all bunk and um, don't never play golf. It's very bad for you. Yeah, especially not if you have neck pain. So we just take it all back. The neck pain. So we just went from one extreme to the other in like five minutes. The (laughs) the neck pain is gone. So you can probably say that it works for that. But now it's the side of my... He can't uh, move at all, but his neck is very good. (laughs) Very flexible neck. (laughs) Okay, dear listeners, this was a typical 
example of a post hoc ergo propter hoc type of argument. Yes, you're welcome. A little bit of an anecdotal evidence as well. Yeah, mixed in there. Well. So <laughs> anyway, so be careful when playing golf or doing everything, anything you're doing. So yeah. yeah, and I would say also be careful when you're in Germany because our cases are still rising right now. So we're not being super happy. Last weekend we had the for the first time above two thousand again at per day. So we're not being super happy about that, of course. And uh, people, not all people, of course, but some people are still being annoying about not wearing masks and being like, oh, it's just a cold. And <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, annoying. <laughs> yeah. but, but And you've got your own uh, uh, conspiracy theorists as well, right? Yeah, a few. <laughs> yeah. Who's this Attila guy? Uh, Attila Hildmann is a vegan chef, which, as you can see, it totally uh, qualifies him to know everything about what the government and Bill Gates and Big Pharma and everybody's doing. But for some reason, he has a huge following <laughs> to, together with this. You see like a master? chef uh, yeah yeah like a cook <laughs> okay but some master chefs do have a large following because people, people yeah. like to to, to yeah. follow that kind of they, they like to eat <laughs> so food is always interesting yeah yeah it yeah is. and he's vegan so he's also trendy, Although vegan so. food i don't i'm not so keen on vegan food yeah but Ber in berlin a lot of people are eating vegan like it's very trendy <laughs> yes, but is it good? That's my question. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, apparently there could be very good uh, vegan foods. Okay, I apologize to all vegans. I shouldn't talk about things that I don't know. Um. <laughs> Actually, I know a guy in um, Ottawa, in Canada, who is a vegan and a skeptic. His, his name is uh, Mark. Hi, Mark, if you're listening. And uh, he organizes uh, events and talks about that and how the, the two can yeah. go together without conflict. Oh, interesting. Mm. I mean, yeah. I know a lot of vegetarian skeptics. Like, it's, it's not that it's contradicting each other. And, but I would also say food is something that it's something that ha you, you have to like and it's not something you have to preach to other people <laughs> <laughs> so like if i eat vegan then i eat vegan but i won't won't expect you to eat vegan too pretty much <laughs> yeah but it's so difficult not to preach i know <laughs> when you think that uh, your way of doing something is the ultimate way it's the proper way and all other people are in the wrong so. <laughs> I think we all fall prey to that. Like I, yeah. I've got the same thing happening <laughs> when like people are like, oh no, 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 I don't need to get like to um, vaccine my child, or I don't need to get this uh, infected bite checked out by a doctor. I will, I will be like, oh, I'm urging to tell you to go to a doctor. For example, because I think that that's the right thing to do. Oh, for fuck's sake, we are skeptics. <laughs> we try to persuade people. Yes that our worldview is the right one on a daily basis. So who are we to argue with someone who preaches? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's quite right, quite right. Yeah, and um, I would also like to add that we got an email by our listener, Lorenzo Coronati, who um, sent us an update on one of our episodes where we talked about the wow signal. And the wow signal was a signal that was um, received on Earth. <laughs> and it got the name because somebody, like the astronomer, who picked it up wrote wow beside it and it still hasn't been explained and we talked about it on the show and Lorenzo sent us a quote by Jill Tarter who did a speech in uh, 2019 and Jill Tarter was the a long time uh, the director of SETI I think it's pronounced SETI mm -hmm. Search for Extraterrestrial yes. Intelligence yes that's right yeah exactly and um, her quote sounds uh, sums it up pretty well um, I'll just quote Lorenzo's email for that and that is um, that signal did not pass the test that I would have required to consider it extraterrestrial and deliberate there were two receivers on the telescope and a signal that was truly coming from a distance from the sky would have shown up in one receiver first and then in the second receiver. It passed only the first part of that. It did not get verified, so I don't lose any sleep over the wow signal. There's no way of really knowing what it was. Hmm. And I think that's a really good addition to what we already said on the show. So thank you very much to that uh, for that, Lorenzo. I think Lorenzo summed it up pretty well. Uh, funnily, uh, there was a time when they tried to explain it in a different way. So they found a comet that had previously not been known, and uh, they tried to make that, that kind of connection with the comet. But uh, then it got debunked as well. So basically, it's all about ideas coming up about what it might have been, and then debunking all those ideas. 
because that was just a one-off kind of signal. So I don't think they've even uh, ruled out a technical glitch either. Yeah. So it might have been just a technical thing, but there's no way of finding that out yeah. now. No. Yeah. Because it's it's over. That was a one-off thing. But did you know that um, there is um, a, a mysterious repeating radio burst that is being investigated right now and it's not even among the theories of its origin to be coming from an extraterrestrial intelligence but uh, it's something that still needs an explanation it's a fast (laughs) radio burst and uh, they found a a bit of a periodicity in the, the signal and then it disappeared but then it came back according to previously determined uh, schedules so now we have something that is unexplained but it works like clockwork yeah <laughs> so <laughs> this is I, th- I think this is uh quite quite cool, cool. definitely cool. <laughs> have you heard the other thing which one was that the, um, the other thing. The other Pontus. thing. There were two things. <laughs> there were only two things. Come on. The asteroid oh. that had not too long ago passed the Earth. Yeah. And they only noticed it after it was gone. Yeah. <laughs> it was too just a couple, a couple of thousand <laughs> kilometers. So it was between the Earth and the moon. <laughs> and it was the size of a car. And it, it was detected, but only when it was already going away. Yeah. Was it a Tesla, Andros? A Tesla. <laughs> that's a good one that's a good one i don't know i'm not sure about that <laughs> but i mean like it's 2020 so like from anecdotal evidence I, it would surprise me if there's something turning up that we don't see and it just like hits the earth on christmas or something you know yeah yeah it's, it's like uh, this year i won't be surprised by anything <laughs> yeah and uh, there was one that uh, one day after the u.s election day there will be one that might hit the Earth. But it's not that big, I heard. No, it's not. And it will probably burn up. It's the same thing. It's like the size of a car. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think it would do much more than the Chelyabinsk event, yeah. if you remember that. Mm. Well, we said like um, it should burn up, but they will later be like, oh, yeah, we don't know how it actually managed to gain mass in, gain mass in the atmosphere. But it's 2020, so we don't have an explanation for that. <laughs> yeah, of course not. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, lots of interesting things going uh, going on out there, but uh, most of that is just uh, science doing its job. Anyhow, we we have to do our job as well, which is yes. producing a show, <laughs> and we cannot start the show without uh, finding out what happened sometime this week in the history in skepticism. Yeah, this week we have the anniversary of the close encounter of Cusack in France. And that was on the 29th of August, 1967. Goody, more aliens. Yeah. Yeah, cl- wait a minute, close encounter between whom? Well, you would like to know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you so that you don't die stupid. <laughs> uh- <laughs> Thank you. That may still happen. <laughs> yeah, it will happen, unfortunately. Yeah. Because uh, François... And Anne-Marie Delpuch, they were 13 and 9 years at that time. They were on a meadow with their cows and they played cars to pass the time. Mm -hmm. And then the boy, François, suddenly saw that there was some unrest in the herd. And he got up to, to see what why the herd is so excited. And he noticed four small figures. And he thought them to be children initially, but they wore strange black clothes and they had no facial features. He couldn't see any faces. They had long limbs and they continued to pick up samples from the ground. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very, very mysterious. (laughs) So far, it's really interesting. Yes. Give us more. Give us more. Yes. (laughs) I have more. There was a mysterious orb floating beside the figures. And when the little sister, Anne-Marie, called out, hey, did you come to play? Because she also thought them to be children. They jumped up very highly, like surprisingly high. And the globe rose, was whistling, and then the smell of sulfur filled the air. So they farted, basically. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) (laughs) They were startled and that resulted in them farting. Okay, thank you. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But, I mean, that was one possible explanation. (laughs) But (laughs) so far, it's actually 
still unexplained. But what we can say to that is that the family was very well liked in the town and a lot of like it made national and international newspaper headlines. Many argued that because of the youth of the children and I have to say like I wouldn't count 13 as a child but okay. <laughs> Many argued that because of their youth um, that their accounts couldn't be false. That they wouldn't invent anything No because like that. children never lie. No. <laughs> they never invent any stories because they're no, so innocent not. and <laughs> they don't have imaginations no. anyway no they don't have any stories with like dragons in it or anything no, no, no. so um yeah especially i would say or like what we pretty much already said especially of the youth their story could be wrong but a lot of people disagreed with that and so yeah what do you think about this uh very exciting close encounter. <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. No. I have not enough information. Could it be small cows, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. Small cows. Yeah. Jumping very hard. And then yes. farting. They, <laughs> they do fart. They do fart. They do fart a lot and burp. Yeah. But they fart methane. They don't fart sulfur, don't they? <laughs> no, no, no. It's not It's not their fart. It's their burp that has methane. Yeah. It was the, just the wrong chemical. Maybe it was like mutated cows. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a propulsion system for them. Like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a farting propulsion yes very nice <laughs> so what is the most likely explanation let's try to apply occam's razor here yeah it could be anything of course and and i was going to say that about uh, our previous discussions as well just because you don't know what it is it doesn't mean it's aliens yeah if, of course yeah so it's, it's about the wow signal i mean just because there's something strange going on it just means you don't know what it is. It, per definition, doesn't mean that you know that it a that it's aliens. Yeah. Because you don't, yeah. you still don't know. And so. it's like because I just feel like because they were bored, they were playing cards, they were looking at the cows. It could totally be that they either fell asleep or that they totally invented that because they were bored. Mm. <laughs> and you know, who knows? In the meadows, there might have been some kind of uh, hallucinogenic uh, material as yeah. well in the air, pollens or anything. Maybe they they chewed some flowers. Yeah. Yeah, you know? that they shouldn't have. <laughs> and uh, they hallucinated some weird shit. Yeah. Maybe so, it was leprechauns. <laughs> could be. Leprechauns. They Cottingly there. fairies. Cottingly fairies, yeah. Yes, could be those. That, Arthur Conan Doyle's favorite. <laughs> right. Which turned out to be cutouts from a paper, I think, and photographed and presented by children as if it was something supernatural. So yeah. we have at least one parallel story. And accepted by a gullible writer. Yes. <laughs> whom even Harry Houdini couldn't convince that it, it was fake. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's just leave it open yes that just we have no idea what fill it was. the mystery oh. <laughs> with everything <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you very much Annika. thank you oh uh, well after two weeks i'm really eager to to find out what you've got pontus to poke the pope with this week This week, Francis has actually behaved quite well. He has sent a few few letters and he has done a few things, but not 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 something that I think we should poke him for. Pretty harmless Francis this week, <laughs> so I I think we'll give him a pass this time and and wait until he does something really stupid and then we'll bring him back. All right. Something tells me that we won't have to wait too long for that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just a hunch. All right. Thank you. Then uh, I think it's time for us to move on to the news, of which we have a lot. Well, surprise, surprise, COVID-19 is still the number one topic all over the world. A lot of that going around at the moment, yes. Yeah, although there seems to be a slight decrease in the, in the general public's interest in the matter, mm. don't you think? I think the, 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 the virus is still interested in us. So Yes, that's right. But I think it's just understandable that uh, people lose interest after a while. We get tired of crises. Yeah, and, we're like overfed yeah. by... <laughs> yes. Fed up. And we would just want to focus on something else. Mm. Yeah. And it's probably healthy to do, do so time and again. But the scientific community has a different path ahead. There is an obvious publishing fever that somewhat distorts the picture. And, and I'm really worried about that. A paper published in the European Journal of Public Health does a pretty interesting analysis of the situation based on the first 10,000 COVID-19 related papers. And the authors asked the question, are we publishing what we should be publishing? 
I think it's a valid question. It's fascinating how the scientific community now focuses on this one one thing, just this one thing, and it's many different aspects as well. According to this paper, between February and July of this year, an average of 4% of all scientific output all over the world was about COVID-19. But since, especially at the beginning, most of the papers were about clinical management descriptions of hospitalized cases, some of the most important questions slipped through the system unanswered for a long, long time. What are these questions? How does the virus spread? Can infected people spread the virus without showing symptoms? How deadly is the virus? Where did the virus come from? What can we learn from the virus's genetic sequence? And can a drug be developed to treat the coronavirus or a vaccine? And these questions were asked right at the beginning, around February and March. And some of them are still not properly answered yet, which is quite interesting when you consider how much is being published about it. Yeah. And we know that while trying to answer some of these questions, a lot of rubbish got published and that did a lot of damage as well. We, we know all know a couple of examples uh, like the chloroquine thing and the, the 5G related to uh, <laughs> COVID-19 and all that weird shit. And we saw how it was all driven by this crazy urge to publish everything, everything that you have right away. The publish or perish principle has its disadvantages and this is one of those. This is how this article found that more than 60% of the published papers on COVID-19 are opinion pieces that do not report on original data at all. So it's all massively inflated and that shouldn't be happening. But if you know how to find it, a lot of useful knowledge has been revealed as well that can be used to tackle the imminent resurgence of the pandemic in places where for a while it seems to be under control. So the WHO has put out a lot of recommendations based on currently available data, which is good. That's what they're for, uh, providing guidelines and professional assistance. Like when a team of researchers had access to WHO data of 55,000 COVID-19 patients, and they came up with a model of how the onset of symptoms can be used to prompt testing, if not for actual diagnoses. Things like this, however, might make controlling the pandemic more efficient, which is really good. But the most efficient way would be vaccinations, of course. And although there is a bit of a general fear that whatever is in the making might not be good enough or even safe, especially when we think about the Russian oh, vaccine yeah. that you mentioned on, on uh, yeah. one of the shows, Gee. a recent article on the conversation by an infectious disease specialist makes a very few very good points as to why we should be optimistic about the availability of a vaccine as early as 2021. So what are these points? First of all, the human immune system does the job of, of curing COVID-19. So it's, it's quite effective. But what we need to do is figure out how we can help that. So uh, luckily, it's not something that the body cannot fight, like HIV or something, something like that that uh, basically cannot fight the diseases by itself. So basically, it's not an unrealistic thing to, to try and help the body. And there are others like uh, how the, the, the different spike uh, glycoproteins can be used and uh, how it can affect the efficiency of an actual vaccine, which is how the, the vaccine developers work. The other thing is that there is so much, by now, there is so much experience about vaccine development that researchers know exactly how to make a safe vaccine. So we don't need to worry about that. And uh, there are several of those kind of vaccines in development at the moment. A lot of them have already passed through uh, phase one and phase two trials, which means that they have been found to be safe and they have been found to induce an immune immune response in the body. So the re the question remains, and there are phase three clinical trials underway. The question remains whether it is effective in the long run and it is safe and effective in the long run. So some some of the vaccine developers are already at that stage, and uh, even though there is an accelerated vaccine production and development process. It is very closely monitored by 
authorities. So it's not something that they take very lightly. So we don't need to worry about that because obviously if that kind of mistake is being made, if it happens that it's not effective or it's not very safe and it's being administered to a lot of people, then it will be a worldwide catastrophe because then everyone will refuse it and uh, it's not going to be useful for anything. And uh, the vaccine developers and vaccine distributors are already being contracted. So we don't have to worry about uh, availability when it's already done and it's, and it's already yeah. uh, there and ready to be administered. So I think those are very good points. And um, I totally agree that uh, we shouldn't be that much worried. What is much more concerning is how the anti-vaccination movement is gaining ground. And uh, I'm afraid we're going to talk about that. Yeah, more about that later on this yes. show. Yes. Yeah. So I think we need to focus on that instead of, uh, of worrying about what the vaccine will provide us with. Yeah. I mean, I heard from a lot of people already that they would be like, oh, if the vaccine would be out tomorrow, I wouldn't be the first who got vaccinated because I don't want to be a guinea pig. And I think the problem is people just don't know how the phases work and that already people were the voluntary guinea pigs there yeah. and that, the, that that already was tested. <laughs> so like, uh, if, if there would be a vaccine, I would do it tomorrow, mm. pretty much. Mm. Yeah, I've, <laughs> Not from Russia, though. <laughs> I think I've never met anyone who's quite knowledgeable about vaccine development or vaccination in general and rejects vaccines. Mm. Yeah. But we have to be aware of how much the anti-vax movement is working at the moment with their propaganda against vaccines. That's right. And a, a, a large, a sizable proportion of the population will listen to them. And that's yeah. worrying. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's the job. Basically, <laughs> yeah, they're there. They are on a like they're surfing the the wave pretty much. Yeah, and something that uh, can probably be also um, put upon the responsibility of the anti-vax movement is that a study found out in Germany that apparently only forty nine percent of all children under the age of two received all the necessary vaccinations. Forty mm. nine. Yeah. Wow. And Ooh. as we all know, we need above ninety to have herd immunity um for those of our listeners who don't know what herd immunity is it's pretty much that the whole population is safe from a certain uh disease um because then if it's like above 90 percent, then the disease can't jump from person to person and even those who can't get vaccinated because they have a kidney disease or something mm. um or like very very young babies under four weeks or so then they even like even them well, they, they won't get it because um, it can't jump from person to person. Yeah. And as you can imagine, with 49%, we're far off the herd immunity mark. Oh, yeah. Sorry, it, but is it a delay or will they catch up when they are three or four years old? Or is it that it will remain at 49%? So some will catch up, but not all of them. Mm. It seemed like most will catch up in the next years, which is like already a bit late because most children start kindergarten with age two or three and if they only catch up in like until they 10 or so then they can already um have these diseases mm -hmm. yeah. get these diseases and spread them i mean it improved from the 2018 study that studied children born 16 and until 18 where it was only 47 percent, so it's 49 percent now but there's uh of course still a long way to go yeah they found out that 3.5 percent uh, even have no vaccinations at all they don't receive any mm -hmm. and what our commission for vaccinations in germany um recommends is that babies and toddlers should receive 13 vaccinations in their first two years including um vaccines like against like pertussis rotavirus measles rubella tetanus and so on so like really really bad yeah. uh diseases that you really don't want to get because you yeah. can get uh, infertile or die or you know like very severe outcomes there and it's even there that um like pregnant women are urged to get vaccinated against pertussis in their last trimester right now to give the baby some protection so that you can see like how how important these vaccines are if they're trying their best to just do it with like the proxy <laughs> with their mums so it's just like it's it's just a shame that the anti-vax movement pretty much manages to um take the gift that science gave gave us <laughs> 
takes that away and yeah puts these these children and the people around them at risk yeah mm. stupid and you mentioned 90 percent herd immunity it's different for different diseases it is, yes. yes but it, it usually has to be above 90 yeah for measles it's 95 because it's so very contagious so yeah yeah, yeah it, it has to do with the with the basic reproduction rate yeah. and uh, the interesting thing is uh, what's a common misconception about uh, herd immunity that it's not about the lack of people vulnerable to the disease but it's that with the herd immunity we end up not having enough people who are infected and can spread the disease right so that's the the difference in in concept so it's yeah. and this is this is how it can happen that even those who are not vaccinated can be protected yeah i always imagine people who are vaccinated that they have a little wall around them <laughs> mm-hmm. and then even if somebody throws a tennis ball or a dart or whatever at them it will it will get stopped by the wall and that's why it can't go on and can't, can't get thrown on <laughs> i like those um uh, graphics uh, that uh, use umbrellas to demonstrate that yes that you hold up an umbrella and when whenever the pathogens come down and rain down on you uh, the umbrella protects you mm. that's a metaphor though it is but don't use don't use an umbrella instead of a face mask <laughs> no that, that won't work yeah all right it doesn't replace either a face mask or a vaccine yes <laughs> have we talked enough about covid19 yet on this show i don't think so no no i don't think we so. we need no, a no. daily fix <laughs> yes yes right so i'm sure people have seen me memes or other things online claiming that the flu is killing more people than COVID-19. And so it's implying that we shouldn't be so concerned. Uh, There's been a new round of this going around uh, in the UK, especially uh, based on official numbers regarding England and Wales uh, from the Office of National Statistics or the ONS. And it's not just on the internet this time it's also it's been there's been headlines in the mirror the sun and the daily mail and all the other usual suspects we've talked about how hard it is with statistics before and in this case there are two confounding factors because the numbers are sort of real but here's the the rub first of all the numbers reported as flu by by these papers and these outlets are actually labeled influenza and pneumonia by the ONS. And that's two very different things, of course. Uh, Secondly, there's a big difference between dying of something or dying with something, especially when it comes to pneumonia, which is a very common complication for many diseases. Including the flu. Including the flu, right. So you can have both uh, and you can have... uh, pneumonia from any kind of thing really basically if if you yeah if you're hospitalized a long time the risk of uh, catching catching pneumonia is very, very high but even if you're a kid going uh, tobogganing in the winter in the snow yeah. then you can also catch pneumonia like it's uh... right yeah. so but just because you die having pneumonia doesn't mean that you die because of pneumonia it could be that you it's because of the underlying disease so let's look at what's true here then because i said the numbers are in sort of correct but if we look at influenza then the number of dead with influenza is less than 5% of the total number of deaths in cases where the patient had either influenza and or pneumonia. So he- the headline saying flu killing six times more people than coronavirus, as it was said in the mirror on the 19th of August, is totally misleading, even if the actual number comes from the ONS. And then there's another point, of course. What if it was true that, quote-unquote, the flu killed more people than COVID-19? Well, then people got, should get the vaccine against it more. Right. Accept it a bit more. <laughs> Correct. And we should still fight COVID-19, just like we're fighting influenza and the other diseases. Just because people also die of other things doesn't mean we should ignore the, what is it, 800,000 plus dead or whatever it is from, from COVID so far. Yeah. You could compare it to, to deaths in traffic. You know, just because a lot of people die in traffic, that doesn't mean we should ignore the COVID-19 deaths. So, so it's all um, stupid and it's only... They're twisting numbers to create headlines and that is very misleading. So don't trust that. But go to... Um, 
fullfact.org and look at the link that we are posting because they are explaining these things very well. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. So when we try to understand things, it's it's always good to to, to try to make the connections uh, why that is being believed or why that attitude is prevalent, including those who deny the importance of uh, measures against COVID-19. But there, there is a new study that was published in uh, the journal PLOS One, and it has found a very interesting correlation between negative attitudes towards rules and regulations, coupled with a lower trust in doctors, and both the use of CAM and an active anti-vaccination sentiment. Mm-hmm. CAM being compl- complementary and alternative medicine, of course. The study was conducted by the researchers of three universities, the University of Turku and Abu Academy University in Finland, mm-hmm. and the University of Bristol in the UK. The study was based on a survey conducted on a sample of 770 Finnish parents who had been involved in the so-called Thin Brain Birth Cohort Study, a project with the purpose of studying the combined influence of environmental and genetic factors on child development, which is quite a good and quite an extensive task. Mm. But this time, the actual factors were more on the psychological side of things. They wanted to investigate if anti-vaccination and pro-scam attitudes, <laughs> I'm applying here the, the word scam, which, is, uh, which was introduced by uh, Edzard Ernst, uh, it's so-called alternative medicine. They wanted to investigate if anti-vaccination and pro-scam attitudes are driven by distrust in medical doctors and or a psychological trait of reactance, which is a kind of defined behavior as a reaction to pressure or persuasion. Like you're being told something to, to do something and immediately you end up doing the opposite of that. You dig your heels because in pretty much. Exactly. Don't tell me what I need to do. The results show that a higher trait reactance indicates a higher probability of distrust in medical doctors, which makes sense, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as a result, a more positive connection to complementary or alternative medicine. Mm. Obviously, if you reject medical doctors, you will be drawn to uh, complementary and alternative medicine. That also makes sense. But it's good to see results uh, showing that. But positive attitudes towards CAM is not exclusive to those people. As when presented with a list of CAM products, almost 40% of the parents reported the use of at least one of them in the last 12 months to treat an illness or maintain good health or something. While anti-vaccination attitudes were found to correlate with both trait reactants and distrust in medical doctors, uh, the good news is 9 out of 10 parents had a general trust towards doctors and 75% of the parents in the survey had accepted the childhood vaccines for their children without hesitation. Half of them even reported to have taken the flu vaccine. However, 7% of the parents reported to have refused to take a vaccine for their child at least once, Mm. which is more than desirable, but not as bad as one might think. Right. Because it it was, uh, the report doesn't say, but uh, it it could be that it was just a one-off thing, that there was one kind of vaccination. Let's say HPV vaccination is quite common Mm. to be rejected. But then again, we mustn't forget either that this online survey was done in Finland. And since the parents had already been involved in a long-term cohort study, they are far from representative to the nation's parents on a countrywide scale. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Was this an online survey? It was an online survey as well. That also raises a red flag. Yes, exactly. So it's far from representative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) We have to be careful there. Yeah. Mm. So it's a pre-selected number of people. So when you consider that, that 7% is rather high because those people were already committed to their children and the development of their children being monitored by this large-scale program including 4,000 parents, out of which 770 did the survey. So there there are not many surprises there, but it it was an interesting study, but it has its limitations, so we need to take the results with a a grain of salt. But on the other hand, that kind of connection between that 
attitude, the trait reactance. That is quite interesting, that how people... And obviously, it was a psychological survey, part of the survey, that determined how uh, much of this reactance attitude they have in them. Hmm. And uh, I think it's quite rarely... This is why it's interesting, because it's quite rarely... As being assessed yeah. that kind of trait yeah definitely and um, yeah from something that we should take with a grain of salt I would like to continue with something that we should also take with a grain of salt <laughs> because an old guide of 2011 about homeopathy is making rounds again and now you might wonder like why is that considered news Annika <laughs> and um, <laughs> why <laughs> the thing is that the last update on this page um was on the 21st of August. So very recently, um, that just means they're still publishing it and they still didn't change their um, their opinion in that regard. <laughs> and that's why I thought I would give this uh, like an honorable shout out in our news. <laughs> hmm. Because in this guide, a union of Catholic doctors um, published a note by Dr. Gero Winkelmann, who claims that homeopathy can help if you're, and help here in, is in air quotes, please, <laughs> if you're transsexual, homosexual, or even if you're a woman. Sugar pills. Yeah, exactly. Like it's um, it's a disease to be a woman. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> interesting. They had a question there that asked, like, does it work on women in all caps? And it says, like, yes, homeopathy works on women, animals, and even plants. <laughs> Fantastic, because it doesn't work on men. So <laughs> yeah, at least it works on women. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and great. on plants and animals, I should. Breaking add. news. Yeah, they also describe how they progress with um, their therapy mm -hmm. um, against homosexuality, transsexuality um, and other things. Oh, and uh, they say they detox your old, the old sickness out of you. Old sicknesses. With sugar pills. Yeah. Then they talk about old trauma, which is like, yeah, that's something you should do in therapy. And then... But not with sugar yeah, pills. And then they take the homeopathic therapy, in air quotes, to get the real evil out. The actual mm. evil. So that's this is then... exorcism, really, because we're, it's, <laughs> we're talking about like a Catholic yeah. priest. So yeah. this is the first time I've heard about homeopathy as exorcism. Yeah, something they also say in the guide is that syphilis is around, or would be a lot around a lot, and that could lead syphilis could lead to aggression and pedophilia. <laughs> And of course, homeopathy can uh, could also help here. Can't even keep track of this. No, no. <laughs> oh my god. So like. There's really no no stop here, and um, thankfully I found like pretty much on the on the bottom of the page I found a disclaimer <laughs> that this is not the opinion of every medical doctor in the union, <laughs> but that uh, a lot of people think that it has proven like this, but it does, that it's not there um, that they don't all agree with that. Can they cure autism as well? I think so. Like they don't mention it on that side, but um, I would uh, very carefully word it and say it very likely works as well against autism as it works against homosexuality yeah oh uh, definitely, yeah. definitely but only this women, is why i asked right? the question yes, only, only women. women and pedophiles yeah. yeah autistic homosexual women well, is yes. what it works for exactly well, isn't it isn't wonderful when when two superstitious cults come together like that catholicism Ooh. and homeopathy and you, the result is you know, it's so of a supernova of stupidity. Yeah, it's it's just like it's baffling because if somebody like let's just imagine somebody doesn't know a lot about their own sexual orientation or about their own sexual identity and then they are pressured into like conversion therapy with homeopathy mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they're told like you're as bad as a pedophile because you love men as a man or something like that like that's so incredibly harmful isn't it well catholics at least know a lot about pedophilia mm. yep <laughs> that was too general um <laughs> statement but uh yeah catholic <laughs> priests um some of them yes a lot of them a lot of them do know <laughs> well, they, they also mention catholic priests uh, not in that guide but on their page mm -hmm. um where they say well catholic priests are holy men are they so you should treat them with dignity and 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 help them and uh sexual abusers are also like the ones that are also priests uh, are also holy men so you should treat them with dignity and <laughs> yeah it's um i think we talked about this on the show before it's there's a lot of things um ethically wrong there <laughs> <sighs> 
speaking of priests, not not as bad as that. I mean, I can't top that story. That was too bad. <laughs> but um, we, we go to Sweden and old habits seem to die hard. The Swedish government has put in place a commission to evaluate the steps taken to find the pandemic. And that's good. I, we, we endorse that. We should always evaluate what we're do, doing so that we know for the future what we did right, what we did wrong, and uh, it could lead to be better prepared when the next pandemic comes, because it will. We all know that. Yeah. So all good things. But this seven-person commission supposedly put there because they are knowledgeable people and smart people qualified to do a good evaluation. They consists of a, one economist, several professors of various subjects and representatives from academia, etc. But then there's also a priest from the former National Church of Sweden. So what's with that? Didn't they get the memo? The Swedish church was separated from the state decades ago. And the state is now supposed to be secular. The Swedish church has no business in this. And <laughs> uh, they should have no fast track into government um, commissions. They might just as well appoint someone from Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. So that's ridiculous. Hopefully they will still uh, deliver a good result when the results are presented next year but i think that's just crazy why a priest mm. well they are experts in um, providing prayers for everyone about everything and uh, the next topic is something that we probably need prayers for because nothing else helps it doesn't doesn't look like uh we are getting there with uh, the conventional methods so You've probably seen that uh, recent data on how much ice Greenland lost in uh, 2019 is absolutely shocking. Half a trillion tons in one year. I, I can't that... even imagine how much that is. Yeah. No, 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 no. You cannot wrap your head around it. That's that's for sure. It's, uh, it's just too much. But it's alarmingly high. And yet there are still those out there who deny that anthropogenic global warming is a thing. Hmm. We quite often hear... The argument about anthropogenic climate change that there's no need to worry as fluctuations of carbon dioxide levels have always been a part of earth's climate history which is true and we know that in the pliocene for example some three to five million years ago the atmospheric level of carbon dioxide was over 400 ppm parts per million comparable to today's more than 414 ppm but then sea levels were 10 to 20 meters higher mm. and global temperatures were a good two to three degrees higher as well so we're not there yet <laughs> but soon we also need to consider it uh, how fast these past changes might have taken place and uh, <clears throat> current scientific consensus is that an increase in global carbon dioxide levels have always been somewhat gradual and the occasional abrupt changes could have occurred over a period of a couple of hundred years, which is extremely fast in, in geological terms, but doesn't compare to the rate of change that we see today. But the problem has always been the lack of high-resolution data in the matter. Uh, this is what Swiss eye specialists have uh, worked on, and they published a paper about their findings in the journal Science. Uh, they conducted their research on an ice core from Antarctica, uh, the ice of which had contained ice from a period between 330 and 450,000 years ago, which was one of the interglacial periods. You know, those when ice recedes and it's a little bit warmer. We are currently in one of those as well, one of those interglacials. Now, we know that in the last 800 years, cycles of glacial and interglacial periods occurred after one another, but the carbon dioxide levels uh, within this time frame never reached nearly as high as those we see recently. But it has always been the assumption that the climate over interglacial periods uh, was relatively stable, so no abrupt changes but turns out there have been some quick increases which could be spotted in this high-resolution sample. So this is, this is what's new about this, that uh, they found that even in interglacial periods, abrupt changes could occur. occur. 
this raises the question of why that happened, but that's that's a different topic. Uh, this is not why I brought this topic into the news segment. The, the paper, however, explains that their data suggests that the fastest ever increase in carbon dioxide level was around 15 ppm uh, that happened over the course of a whole century. Mm. 15 ppm. But that 15 ppm jump corresponds to the last six years of the current rate of change, which means that what the Earth is experiencing now as a result of human activities is a jump in atmospheric carbon dioxide levels more than 10 times faster than in any time in the last 800,000 years. Uh, It's not a problem because I've got another planet Earth in my cellar. And I think you guys have too, so yeah. it's not a problem. We've we've got alternatives, right? <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. But right. on a serious note, I don't know about you, but but this is rather scary. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. At least we we know what causes it. This is good that we know that it's us and it's our activity. Thus, we can act on it, or at least we could. We could have. It's just a matter of will. Hmm. But apparently, we globally speaking, we lack even the will yeah. to do something about it. We're screwed. Yep. Yeah, but to close on a more uh, close to the news segment on a more positive note, that's good. I would like to point out just one thing that, and that is that the EU Commission has put up a very excellent web page mm-hmm. describing how to tackle conspiracy theories. Uh, it is it's a pretty long one with uh, several subsections, and uh, like what what is a conspiracy theory? Why do they flourish? How to identify them? How your own beliefs can can affect your approach to them? Can they be dangerous? There is one uh, section about the link to anti-Semitism because that's very often the case. They also use the the word pre-bunking, which we have uh, been very happy to <laughs> note in the past. They're pre-bunking and debunking conspiracy theories. That's one section. And then there's advice. How do you talk to somebody who firmly believes in conspiracy theories? And uh, are there specific conspiracy theories that are linked to COVID-19? Of course, yes, there are. And then they go through that. And... Um, uh, also, for journalists, a special section, how can journalists report on conspiracy theories better? So uh, for those of you out there who are not big fans of the EU and EU Commission, sometimes some they come up with something pretty good. And we will link to this web page in the show notes. Yeah, very good. What I really regret is that uh, they didn't, or at least so far, they haven't translated it to all the languages of the EU. Which would be really good to have, yeah. I think. Right. But the other thing that uh, that I think is worth mentioning is that they reference a couple of uh, works that include the, the the works of two people that we already interviewed on the show, Sander van der Linden and John Cook. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So very good. It's quite good to see that these people get the attention of the European Commission as well. Mm. So. Well done, and congratulations to, to John and uh, and the team. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. That has been our list of news uh, from the last week and a half, probably. But we are moving on to finding out who's been really wrong lately. I guess most of our listeners are familiar with Plandemic, which is a film released in May and a so-called documentary uh, claiming that the COVID-19 pandemic has been planned all along, therefore plandemic instead of a pandemic. Very good. So, uh, well, well done on that name. Uh, but wait for you hear about the sequel, Plandemic 2, or as the ridiculous official title is, Plandemic, colon, Indoctrination. If you want any reason to get upset about this utter stupidity, you don't have to go further than that title. I think that was the stupidest (laughs) title I've ever, ever heard about. (laughs) Uh, Nevertheless, nevertheless, I did do my best to to try to watch the film online but i had to end up skipping large sections of it It was horrible (laughs) Um, i'm really grateful for factcheck.org who prepared a thorough debunking of all the main claims in the film and of course we will link to that in the show notes 
Uh, the film is, as I said, really terrible, except I would note for the production value. It must have taken lots and lots of money to produce this uh, piece of garbage. But the content is horrible. It features a guy called David Martin and builds around the event 201 and links that to a lot of unproven nonsense uh, taken totally out of context. Are you guys familiar with Event 201? No. no. I, I wasn't either, actually. <laughs> it is something real. It was a workshop and a tabletop exercise that was held in 2019 to discuss what response could be or should be in, done in case of a pandemic. It was hosted by the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security in partnership with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and World Economic Forum. The reason for such an exercise is pretty self-evident. We have known for decades that pandemics like this will happen. So they got together and they have got, went through what do we do if it happens. And we've had close calls before um, in regarding pandemics possible pandemics we remember the swine flu and SARS and MERS etc yeah yeah but this stupid movie takes this workshop as evidence that the COVID pandemic was a planned thing it's a conspiracy and this was just the final rehearsal when they went through everything uh, it tries to imply that it all links back to Rockefeller to Patents of illegal biological weapons. Bill Gates, of course, since he was in, actually involved in in holding this thing, uh, and he's also apparently, according to this film, using Africans as guinea pigs uh, with all his vaccine projects. Of course, they say that the SARS-CoV-2 virus is artificial, and it was ordered by Bill Gates via an American company who outsourced it to Wuhan in China. And all along, it says that these things are being proven and official records, uh, quote unquote, don't hold water, but they never go into why it's and how it's proven and why it doesn't hold water, just states it as a fact. What I always don't get is what would Bill Gates get out of that? I, I have no, <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. He's just evil. Yeah, he's, he's just evil. Uh, he's just like pure and evil. And the evil okay. person doesn't have to have a, um, an actual gain so out of something. that's his motivation because yeah. he's yes. just evil. Yes, right. he wants yeah. to kill people. For some reason. For or he wants to get rich, but I don't understand it. He's already one of the most rich <laughs> people in the world. How can <laughs> he ever... And he's also... He's bloody funded... He, after the US now decided to leave uh, the WHO, he is the biggest funder of the WHO. So he's <laughs> yes, giving right. money away all the time. Why should he do things like this just to get rich? Stupidity. Anyway, but this is a double-edged sword as well because then he can be accused of controlling the WHO um, as one person. So. But what's the profit in that? I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. Anyway, the the worst parts of this of the film, in my opinion, is when they spread misinformation about vaccines, such as uh, they say it's impossible to get compensation for actual vaccine injuries, which is totally false. They are misquoting experts out of context to make it sound like it's physically impossible to create a vaccine in less than seven years. That's nonsense as well. That's completely arbitrary. Yeah. That's it, seven it, years. Right. Why? Uh, why? Specifically seven years. No, but they found some expert who's, who claims that in an offhanded comment or something. I don't know. But the good news is that you can read the refutations to all of these nonsense uh, on Fact Checked's website. And again, we will send, we will post a link. But here we see how serious the efforts are by the anti-vax movement to put huge amounts of money into undermining the hopefully near future when we do have a vaccine against covid i, I mentioned the production value is very mm -hmm. very high so they're putting lots and lots of money into this of course we don't know how quickly we will have a vaccine or how efficient it will be etc but we're, we're hoping people are working on it it won't take seven years but the propaganda machine has already paved the way to discredit uh, the vaccine when it comes. And uh, it's just creating vaccine deniers all along. 
So it's it's a terrible product. Mm. Mm. And it's I think it's interesting that they're doing exactly what they're saying Bill Gates is doing. Right. So- Good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And is that there is something confusing about this as well that I assumed back then when it it really stirred up quite a controversy the pandemic movie mm. and now with the release of this long feature feature film they say that the the original video that was debunked by everyone all over the internet it was a teaser trailer yes for some reason yeah, yeah. but then it was called the movie and now it become demoted to the, the level of teaser trailer yeah. so i don't know uh, no, no logic and consistency is not <laughs> their strength <laughs> yeah i guess all right right so for spreading extremely dangerous and harmful nonsense the producers of the idiotically named film plandemic indoctrination <laughs> <laughs> gets today's prize for being really and i mean really really wrong well deserved <laughs> yeah exactly couldn't agree more all right thank you very much pontus and there is only one more thing to do before we say goodbye and uh, i'm so excited to, to to share this with you um this is quite a positive kind of um, quote and it's by probably the greatest hero of my childhood who was a french naval officer explorer of all things related to water a pioneering conservationist a filmmaker photographer author and co-developer of the aqualung yeah do you know who i'm talking about yes because i can read it on the script here okay but he was a great hero of mine as well when i was like <laughs> six or seven years old yeah i just don't know what an aqualung is <laughs> an aqualung is basically a, a scuba diving equipment that's that's what you breathe oh, with underwater and uh ah, it makes sense because lunge is like lung yeah it's lung. <laughs> in, yeah. in german and yeah, yeah. lung is lung yeah, yeah. also so shall we tell yeah. his name as well so his name was jacques Cousteau, and uh he was an amazing man and the quote that he provided us with is what is a scientist after all it is a curious man looking through a keyhole the keyhole of nature trying to know what's going on no <laughs> oh, that's nice I love that's that. nice I love that. yeah yeah <laughs> the only thing that would make it for me as an old feminist make it really perfect if it wouldn't say man but person yeah yeah <laughs> right but it's still a very lovely quote <laughs> yeah it is it is but man is quite often used as um, as a default as man in the sense of mankind yeah. Yeah. but he, he 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 this was a different time he was very active in the 50s and 60s and and 70s i know yeah and uh, so he was from another age yeah uh, i'm i'm i hope i would like to think that he would <clears throat> put it differently this now yeah he was already a french naval officer back then and after the second world war was when they uh, came up with the aqualung thing mm. they wanted to do better uh, underwater films and underwater um, uh, shots and uh, they decided that they had to be able to breathe underwater mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and also like back then like the the absolute majority of scientists were men so like we can't really hold it against oh, yeah. him that right. he worded it that way that's right that's right <laughs> Yeah. All right. C- can I make before we leave this? Can I just make a random uh, film recommendation? Yeah, of course. Because there is a great uh, sort of pastiche or parody of uh, uh, Cousteau made by Wes Anderson, and the film is called "The Life Aquatic" with Steve Sissou, and it stars Bill Murray as uh, the sort <laughs> of uh, okay. Cousteau guy. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. It has this Wes Anderson kind of sort of slow strange humor mm-hmm. that doesn't suit everybody i tried to sh- show it to my wife she uh, absolutely hated it but i love it <laughs> i think it's a great film uh so i recommend that <laughs> all right i've been meaning to to watch it for a long long time and uh for, for some reason i didn't so i think it's a film you actually have to see it two or three times before you really understand how brilliant it is okay okay <laughs> <laughs> all right but that concludes our show. I'd like to thank both of you for joining me today, Annika and Pontus. Thank you. And also I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis dann.
This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Well, if you're by holy, you mean those who are interested in holes. I think we're all a bit, <laughs> we don't know what to say to that, but yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. Oh boy. But no, I, I shouldn't be. They should be sorry. Yes, they, they should, should be sorry. All right.